0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin
1: Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and chips and sealing wax, as we like to say around here, but about how what and why we believe as we do a time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe those willing to be uncertain for an hour i'm eldon taylor and this is provocative enlightenment all right my partner ravinder is here in the studio with me so rav say hello to everyone and share your special insight for the day
2: Well, hello, everyone. I'm so glad that you could join us for another exciting show. I really like that front end piece you have where you talk about being unwilling to be, I mean, willing to be uncertain (laughs) for an hour. I wonder if that was Freudian. Um, I think that is just really important. My wisdom for today, you know, right here today we have got Ice, rain, sleet, snow, and rain all mixed in together. So the ground is really, really slippery. So obviously, the wisdom for today is look where you're walking. Take your time. Look down. Step carefully. And that, of course, holds for life in general. Interesting.
1: Now, listen, you have a conversation that goes on during the radio show. And it's on the after chat, Eldon Taylor's after chat on Facebook. Uh, Tell people how they could participate in that conversation. I had several uh, remarks last week about, oh, what happened to the chat room? Well, you moved it to a Facebook page. So, you know, tell folks about that.
2: That's true. I have moved it to a Facebook page. It's a private Facebook page. But all you need to do is to either friend Eldon or I on Facebook and ask us to be Asked to be added into the group, and then we can do that. So if you're doing it while we're on the air, then friend me because I am right here. He won't be looking at Facebook, or he better not be looking at Facebook while we're on the air. Um, So, yeah, simply friend me on Facebook, send me a private message, and I will get you added to our after chat chat group.
1: All right. In this week's Spotlight, I wish to ask the question What if everything you believed? was wrong. Pause for a moment and ask yourself what if the manner in which you piloted your life was constructed from error, false beliefs, groundless foundations, incorrect assumptions, and so forth? What would that mean to you? To how you live, to what you prioritize, with whom you associate, etc.? There are many things that we think and believe that time tends to lay bare as undeserving of our investment in their veracity. Take, for example, the beliefs of many in our older, still living generation, and of those generations that precede that of the past. Some of these old beliefs that were so heavily invested in as to still invade our personal and political landscape today include such things as slavery, women's rights, sexual attitudes, and more. Think about it this way. Men who are today in their 70s and older remember well the 50s, 60s, and 70s of the last century. The classic books then included works banned today, such as Tom Sawyer's Huckleberry Finn, Required Reading in School. Some books considered classics or semi-classics today, such as Lady Chatterley's Lover and James Joyce's Ulysses, were banned back then. Values are different, as were priorities. In the 50s, most women stayed home to raise their children, while men prided themselves in being the family's sole survivor. Many men felt shame if their wives had to work, in order to make ends meet. My lovely bride likes to think about context when it comes to how older people deal with today's PC attitudes. She is quick to point out the plight of Paula Dean by way of an example. Dean was asked under oath if she had ever used the N-word. She admitted she had, way back when. The when did not matter. The fact was she had used this vile term and she admitted it. As a result, her show was canceled and she was financially devastated. Now Paula Dean grew up at a time when everyone used the word. Regardless of whether it was right or wrong to do so by today's standards, back then it was normal and ordinary. And we all seek to be considered normal. As such... How fair is it to blame her for what was normal in her society as she grew up? A word that was in common use in which she said she had used once. It doesn't make it right, but think of the context. We sometimes think of old beliefs, such as burning witches in Salem, as the dark ages of ignorance. But it wasn't long ago that the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, used by all healthcare professionals, described gay behavior as a mental disorder. The fact is, in the 50s and 60s, some therapists employed aversion therapy of a kind, the kind featured in a clockwork orange, to cure male homosexuality. It wasn't until 1987 that homosexuality completely fell out of the DSM. The world is changing and doing so rapidly. In the near future, we're very likely to have forms of artificial intelligence walking around looking very similar to human beings. The Japanese are already selling human-looking dolls, and at least one entrepreneur in the United Kingdom is buying them up for use in a brothel we have cloning technology but resist human clones for reasons that can only be based on religious beliefs we are able today to modify the DNA of our unborn children we can even design the perfect child in theory tomorrow we could have designer babies that are so much smarter stronger faster more athletic and capable of much more than today's average person, as to represent a new level of human evolution. What will prevent this, especially for those with the very deep pockets necessary to afford it? So I ask myself every day what if that which I held sacred and true, everything I believed, crumbled like the sea castle on a sandy beach because it was based on a faulty foundation. What if? For me, and just for me, asking this question while seriously remaining open to modifying my beliefs based on solid groundwork is a fundamental part of self-actualization. One thing is for sure. Some of what we all believe today will be of the dark ages in the not-too-distant future. My thoughts anyway. What are yours, Ravinder?
2: You know, there's lots of different what directions you can go based on what you were talking about. I think it is a really important question. What if everything you believed was wrong? Um, part of my own personal life philosophy follows that to some degree. I mean, I often think about how would I feel about these actions, that I'm doing today when I'm on my deathbed? Will I feel that I have done my best? What if I was wrong? You know, um, what is the best way to live? So I think that is really important. But it has really practical applications too. You know, as you said, the Paula Dean story bugs the hell out of me Um, because what was normal back then is being judged today. I think today I think of myself as a feminist. I never really thought about it before, but as more of that stuff comes up, it's like, you know, I am firmly in that camp. But the last thing I would want to do is go back in the past and condemn every man who said something that would be offensive today. And everyone did. It was just part of what was normal and things will change. And um, as you were going to add in your in your blurb there, um, one of the things that I'm hoping will change and I fully expect to change will be the way animals are treated. Um, You know, veganism is really important. Animal rights is just really important to me. But I think they're important to everyone. There is just this mass belief out there that it's normal to eat meat and so therefore you have to do these things like buy the cheapest meat at the store and who cares how the animals are treated because everyone's doing it it's normal and it goes into the same category as paula dean using the n-word so stop and think decide who it is you are and the kind of person you want to be stop stop trying to be normal there you go. That's great wisdom, <laughs> isn't it? Stop trying to be normal. Okay. To the, only be normal. Reason,
1: the only reason, you know, the whole animal cruelty and whatnot with it. There oh, are so no. many other examples that we oh, live no. with today was just time. Um, as it was. Today's spotlight and, was uh, and longer the, than I normally do.
2: And it's my soapbox, so we try not to get on my soapbox too much, well, that's so fine. forgive me. That's why you
1: get the opportunity to comment. <laughs> All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured Caroline Sutherland. We spoke about her work in books. The Body Knows. Jill wrote, I love Caroline's books. They probably saved my life. R.T. wrote, Years ago Caroline told me that I should give up dairy. At that time I just ignored this advice. I did not think much of it. Then I decided to go vegan, only to learn for myself the health benefits I experienced dropping the dairy. Brian commented, Caroline is a great way to start the year. Dr. Peggy commented on last week's spotlight regarding humility. I love that show, Lucifer. Yes, it is irreverent, but it is also fun to see things from a totally different perspective. Thank you for mentioning it. I hope more people will watch this so they can continue to offer thought-provoking, well-directed content. I have found myself contemplating my innermost thoughts and desires based on this series, too. It is always good to strive for more clarity and to be a better person to all. Craig also commented on last week's spotlight. Eldon, you are so right. Living in humility is not weak, but actually very fulfilling and a really powerful way to live. Living a life of humility was and is how I want to live my remaining years. Thank you for everything you and Ravinder do. Moving on, Jira wrote, I have dozens of your Inner Talk CDs, and I love them. Okay, that's all the time that we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Now to today's show. Finding Purpose in a Godless World, Why We Care Even If the Universe Doesn't, with author Dr. Ralph Lewis. Now, Dr. Lewis has been with us before, but in case you missed that show, let me tell you a little about him. Dr. Lewis is a psychiatrist at Sunnybrook Health Science Center in Toronto, Canada, an assistant professor the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, and a psycho-oncology consultant at the Odette Cancer Center in Toronto. Dr. Lewis obtained his medical degree in 1990. He completed specialty training in psychiatry at the University of Toronto in 1996, followed by a two-year fellowship in neuroimaging research and a Master of Science in neuroscience, both at the University of Toronto. He has held his present staff physician appointment at Sunnybrook since 1998. Okay, on that, let's get him in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Ralph Lewis.
0: Hello, Eldon. It's such a pleasure to be back on your show.
1: It's good to have you back, Doctor. And and as I said last time you were here, there are so many more uh, thought-provoking ideas uh, in your book that I just really want to, you know, to flesh that out. Um, I may not share, as you know, uh, some of your conclusions, but your thought process and the alternatives They're rigorous. This is a well-written book, and and I recommend it to everyone um, because if we don't consider these possibilities, we remain indefinitely ignorant. That's my point of view anyway. Okay, as you know, we like to know three things on the show. Who's the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? So let's begin this way. What are you passionate about, and when did you lose your belief in God?
0: I'm, uh, I'm passionate, as I said last time, uh, about people. Uh, I'm in a uh, people-oriented specialty. Uh, I'm very. I'm, I'm interested in people. I find people endlessly fascinating. Uh, psychiatry uh, may be stressful, but it is never boring. Uh, it's <laughs> endlessly intriguing. Uh, as to my own belief, as I said last time. I uh, considered myself agnostic for most of my life. Uh, I uh, I transitioned to a position of of atheism roughly a decade ago. I uh, I I respect religion, and I admire the uh, the insights that uh, that religion offers philosophical and psychological insights. And I actually still uh, adhere to religious traditions uh, without the belief, uh, just from from a cultural point of view. So uh, I think I said last time I'm quite sentimental about tradition and heritage, and my own cultural heritage is Judaism.
1: All right. Doctor, you heard today's spotlight. What are your thoughts regarding the nature of our changing values? I mean... Indeed, you know, arguably, your book offers a set of alternatives that may become a standard in the not-too-distant future. So what are your thoughts regarding the nature of our changing values and the impact some of our beliefs have, particularly on the advancement of science and knowledge in general?
0: Well, I think you made uh, uh, some really excellent points uh, reminding us of just how radically, how, uh, how profoundly... Our uh, uh, values and beliefs have changed and continue to change, and and much of this in recent living uh, memory. So uh, yes, I'm certainly interested in how science is uh, is having a a huge influence on our world view, and so so I'm I'm interested from many different angles in how people form their worldviews, what those worldviews are, uh, and um, the degree to which uh, worldview is now increasingly based on a scientific perspective. Uh, And, you know, science has become practically synonymous with atheism. And I actually just wrote a a blog about this um, um, less than a week ago, Asking and wondering, how did that happen? Um, how 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 come most uh, senior scientists are non-believers, and how come uh, science is uh, is practically synonymous with atheism? And that's particularly
1: uh, true in in the United Kingdom. Less so here, but particularly true. And by the way, I don't mean to interrupt you, but. I read your blog. It's an outstanding piece. Uh, tell everybody that's listening how they can they could look at that blog, and then uh, please continue. Again, I don't mean to cut you off.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it, it, so it's on Psychology Today online. So if they simply uh, Google Psychology Today and my name, uh, they, they will uh, quickly find it.
1: Okay, and please then pick it up and continue.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay so um, so actually the uh, uh, the title of, of that blog um, was profoundly challenging questions to ask an atheist and uh, the uh, the subtitle was theism must explain the problem of evil atheism must explain everything else and yeah. <laughs> the, the question the question I'm asking is Well, surely it's impossible to explain everything else, Um, and by everything else, I mean the biggest questions of uh, the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the origin of consciousness, uh, the origin and coherence of values. Um, How do we have purpose, meaning, and morality uh, in a universe that, according to science, is, uh, is Fundamentally random and lacking those very properties of purpose, meaning, and morality. So, um, I'm not claiming nobody is claiming that science has all the answers. But the point made about uh, made in the blog is that science has progressed to such a um, a degree that uh, it it now offers at least plausible models, plausible hypotheses, to address each one of those big questions. And uh, the the models, the hypotheses that science are, offers are far uh, more coherent and compelling. And uh, as I said, they, they, fit, they, they fit the data far more tightly than any... Uh, prior worldview, and those would be religious and spiritual worldviews. Uh, so, while science does not know the answers for sure, we're now at a point in this century, in the last couple of decades, of having many elements of a coherent, comprehensive worldview snap into place, uh, and uh, it. it very, very compelling. So, if anything is going to shift people's values and, and beliefs radically, um, I, I think this, uh, this is the most likely to, uh, to do so. And I, I made the point that I, I, I think, in this information revolution and this stage of science, that quite possibly this represents what I call a tipping point in the intellectual history of humankind.
1: All right, let's look at this, uh, I guess, philosophically for a moment. Uh, Rick Warren sold some 30 million copies of his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Your book addresses human purpose from a diametrically opposing perspective. What is a purpose driven life without God?
0: Well, the traditional belief, um, as um, art, uh, articulated very well by Rick Warren, is that in the beginning, there was purpose. In the beginning, there was a higher power and a, uh, with a higher purpose, and the universe was created and designed with purpose in mind. The scientific worldview is the exact opposite, which is that in the beginning there was n- no purpose. There was randomness and chaos. And in fact, uh, taking a steps earlier, there was quite possibly nothing at all, uh, nothing whatsoever, although that's where it gets much more speculative and hypothetical, and there are different uh, theories about the origin of origins. But certainly, from the scientific point of view, the the early universe lacked any purpose. So, how how and when did purpose enter the universe? It entered the universe with life itself. Now, life on this planet evolved some four billion years ago, and we don't know if there if life uh, emerged elsewhere in the universe though so there's a high probability that it did and we don't know when that would have been but uh... it would be a good guess that it was um... certainly many many billions of years after uh... the big bang after the origin of the universe it couldn't have been sooner than that So, how does purpose emerge with life um, well the most uh... simple Uh, elementary uh, organisms are purpose-driven. The simplest organisms today, organisms like bacteria and simpler than than that even, uh, are by definition purpose-driven. And the purpose, of course, at at the most elementary level, is to survive and replicate. But uh, purpose becomes elaborated As organisms become elaborated, so as organisms become more and more complex under the influence of evolution, which is a blind, unguided process, so purpose itself becomes elaborated. And at a certain point, organisms are so complex in their nervous systems that uh, consciousness enters the picture, at first in a very rudimentary way. And when consciousness emerges, then purpose becomes a conscious process. First, very simple, but then in increasingly complex animals, much more elaborated. And what we have is a runaway evolutionary process of of increasing complexity with extravagantly elaborated purpose. Uh, as we witness and experience subjectively in ourselves, homo sapiens.
1: All right. When we come back, I'm going to pick it up there. Uh, I I, I want to know what you think about, I mean, everybody talks about atheism and then they group a whole lot of ideas in it. And so the atheist doesn't accept that there's any such thing as precognition, any such thing as anomalous uh, um, sorts of... uh, I'll put it in quotation marks, miracles, etc. I'm going to come at you about what your ideas are regarding that. We're speaking with Dr. Ralph Lewis about his work and book, Finding Purpose in a Godless World, Why We Care Even If the Universe Doesn't. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at purposewithoutgod.com. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote... I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used Inner Talk. Vicky wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to InnerTalk.com.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor.
4: Many's the time I've been mistaken, and many times confused. Yes, and I've often felt forsaken and certainly misused. Oh, but I'm all right. I'm all right. Just we. Expect to be bright and born vivant So far away from home So far away from home I don't know a soul who's not been battered I don't have... Oh, no dream that's nothing shattered or driven to its knees. Oh, but it's all right, it's all right, for we lived so well so long.
1: Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Ralph Lewis about his work and book, Finding Purpose in a Godless World, Why We Care Even if the Universe Doesn't. This is a very provocative read. I recommend it. I, it, it to me, it doesn't matter if you're a secular humanist, uh, you know, uh, an atheist, an agnostic, or a a Christian mystic. Uh, Choose what your faith might be and how invested you are in it. In fact, I want to share something with you about this book. Tony Van Pelt, uh, president of the Institute for Sciences and Human Values, says this about Dr. Lewis's book. In Finding Purpose in a Godless World, psychiatrist Ralph Lewis presents an interdisciplinary view of how our purpose, morality, and meaning evolve. Dr. Lewis exemplifies an abiding respect for humans and their individual, complicated journeys through life, but is never patronizing. On behalf of reason and purpose, secular humanists, too, would do well to become emissaries for compassion and understanding. Close quote. Again, a very provocative read. I don't care what your belief is. Definitely something that I believe we should be aware of and we should entertain um, if we want truly to have considered all alternatives and not just to have been puppeted into what our current beliefs are. All right. Again, you can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at PurposeWithoutGod.com and or as Dr. Lewis indicated, go to Psychology Today, input Dr. Lewis, uh, uh, Dr. Ralph Lewis, together with Sy- or once there, and you'll find his blogs, and they are worthwhile, entertaining, uh, reading as well. Uh, each week, every week, we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them, because as you know by now, music psychology is an avocation of mine, and, you know, it has some practical relevance in many areas. So today, Dr. You chose Paul Simon's American Tune. Tell us, why is this music important to you and how does it inform us, moreover, about just who you are?
0: Well, I've always been a Paul Simon fan (laughs) and uh, I I love many of his songs. This one um, particularly strikes a chord. Uh, uh, It's... uh, For me, to the uncertainty that so many people have in maintaining a sense of purpose in their lives, and especially uh, when people are just so exhausted, so drained uh, from overwork in the daily grind, uh, it's that feeling of of wariness and the the confusion uh, that people often feel in life i should say that uh, yeah, I, I find this song very melancholic and i'm not a melancholic person i i'm actually quite an upbeat person uh so uh, i i hope it doesn't uh depress people but i i think it, uh, it it speaks to uncertainty and it was written by the by the way at another uh, in American politics uh, in the mid-70s, just when Nixon was uh, was elected. Uh, but I think it resonates, perhaps, for, uh, for many people in these times, in America in particular.
1: Absolutely. Uh, speaking of that, a couple of things here before I jump you to anomalies. First, I want everybody to understand that you're a medical doctor, and we established when you were last on the show That you're what I termed a pragmatic atheist in that you support patients who find comfort in their theistic beliefs. Referring to that, Doc, um, does it ever disturb you to see patients who do cling tenaciously to some spiritual belief in face of a certain undesirable income or outcome?
0: Um uh, so, uh, As I think I said last time, uh, spirituality uh, or religion can be very helpful for many people when facing terrible adversity. Uh, it does give many people hope and comfort and strength, uh, except when it doesn't. And unfortunately, I've dealt with all too many patients whose, Belief uh, was shattered. Um, they they were left um, so confused and um, so bewildered about their worldview because of just the uh, the the intensity and apparent arbitrariness of the uh, of the adversity that that hit them. And, uh, you know, the obvious question that people ask is, why? Why me? Why did this happen? You know, what does God have in mind for me? And that's very, very hard for many people.
1: All right. As a psychiatrist, what you just described twice now, back to back, both about the music and about why me, is a state of uncertainty. And, you know, the spotlight today essentially was, I believe that we should be uncertain, that uncertainty is healthy. But as a psychiatrist, just how healthy or unhealthy is uncertainty? Or are there parameters that differentiate the form of uncertainty?
0: That that is such a a good question, Eldon, And uh, I'm often uh, left... uh, struggle to figure out uh, the answer to exactly that question, and I'm sure I'm often wrong about that uh, in, my, in my judgment as to whether a, a certain patient ought to be uh, more uncertain or, in fact, helped to get back to a state of certainty, even if it's false certainty. Uh, you know, as I think I said last time, I, my goal as a psychiatrist is to help people to be less distressed and to function better. My goal is not uh, necessarily to help them to to have a more realistic world view, at least on the philosophical level. I do try right. to help people to be more realistic on the practical day-to-day level, but you know, for many many people. Um, honestly, are are better off um, with their belief systems, um, even if they're based on wishful thinking um, rather than reality. They they function better uh, and are more comforted by those beliefs. Uh, As I said, except when when the beliefs fail them, and and that, too, is unpredictable. I, I never know if a person is going to be comforted or not uh, by, by religious and spiritual beliefs. But for myself, and for many people, I, 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 uh, I prefer to be uh, um, as reality-based as possible. And for me, understanding that life and the universe are fundamentally random is actually comforting. It's comforting because it helps me with acceptance, and uh, it helps me to, to not look around uh, in a futile way for reasons that don't exist. It helps me to not blame myself. It helps me to not blame God. If I uh, were to believe in God, I, I think I would be very angry with God in, in, in many situations. Uh, and it, helps, it, it just helps me and many people to, to accept and move on um, once we understand that, that a lot of things happen that are just beyond our control. And it's not very different in, in that way from the famous serenity prayer. It's just that uh, uh, the, the difference is that uh, this is a worldview that accepts that fundamentally many things are not only out of our control but uh, don't have reason. Well, the reasons so, are, are are not helpful. Uh, you know, they're they're molecular reasons and things like like that.
1: I got you. So instead of let go and let God, it's let go and let randomness.
0: I guess you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's. You know, um,
1: let me yep. let me let me pursue that if I may. Placebo and no Siebel research shows us clearly the value of belief, uh, in, at least in, in in the area of um, wellness. Uh, we don't think of that as random, um, I suppose, in the sense that, well, if I believe, uh, then it, uh, that's not too awful random. But just what is that fine line between, as a medical professional doctor, promoting the idea of wellness, which itself is part of the foundation to all placebo research, um, as opposed to dealing with a patient as though the world were random?
0: Yeah, again, you know, um, I I often don't know uh, where to draw that line. I do try to take my cue uh, from, from my patients. Uh, But, you know, to be more uh, concrete about it, uh, I mean, I guess we could apply the question to placebo effects of um, medications such as antidepressants, to what degree is it helpful to promote the expectation uh, of improvement from an antidepressant, which is what drives the placebo effect, versus being realistic. Uh, with a patient uh, right from the the beginning, that these medications are not wonderfully effective on average, statistically. Right. Uh, on average, statistically, they're modest in their effect. You're
4: uh, I creator.
0: tend, to, <laughs> yeah, I I tend to uh, uh, give people realistic information uh, because I'm concerned about the the risk of, of disappointment if I set high expectations and the medication fails.
1: You're a mind reader. I mean, I was about to fractionate that with, uh, you know, the the effect of some drugs, and you used a perfect example, that when we invest in their belief, they work. But indeed, the data shows, hard data shows, that they're basically ineffective. So that's a fine line that... Uh, I I suppose you you take responsibility for it. That's what I'm hearing from you. And instead of promoting something you don't think is effective, um, you try to convey more of factual basis. Plus or minus the patient, because I can see or I'm interpreting from what you're telling me that if you truly believe that the only way this patient is going to positively respond is if you do medicate him, you would probably medicate him. Have I got that right, or am I way out in left field? Well,
0: well I, I should just uh, clarify one thing, uh, just to adjust Please. what you said. Um, so these medications are effective. They do have a real effect over and above placebo, but it's it's it's... Um, it's not a dramatic effect. Uh, In fact, um, uh, one of the biggest meta-analysis studies ever done was completed uh, last year, a very rigorous uh, study, and basically uh, showed that on average, and it's important to emphasize that this is an average, Mm -hmm. antidepressants are about 55% effective, and placebo is about... 35% effective, so the real difference is about 20%, which is very modest, but still very real. And I must emphasize, this is an average, so of course there are individuals who get dramatic improvement, and it is real improvement, but that balances out against people who get no improvement, and then there's everyone in between.
1: Okay, with that qualification, though, I'm going to come back to... Do you medicate first, or do you attempt to go without medication and deal with uh, alternative methods uh, to releasing depression, anxiety, etc. cetera, when you're dealing with that kind of patient?
0: Yeah, well, by alternative, uh, I'm assuming you mean – uh, psychotherapy, uh, yeah. which uh, which of course is not alternative, it's mainstream and it right, has its own... Right. I don't mean space.
1: alternative like in complementary medicine, no. Right, right, right. Yeah, as opposed yeah. So, to, yeah.
0: Yeah, the, the simple rule of thumb, but of course uh, every case uh, has to be assessed on its merits, but the simple rule of thumb is mild depression, go with psychotherapy on its own first. Severe depression... Medicate as soon as possible, uh, with psychotherapy added as soon as the patient is well enough to engage in it. And moderate depression, uh, go with both, but give the patient the option. That, you know, explaining carefully uh, the pros and cons, the risks and side effects, and so on. Uh, but but recommends they consider both uh, simultaneously.
1: Okay, we got a little aside from your book, and I apologize for that. I just, um, but one thought precipitates another, followed by still another. I'm going to come back to your book. I'm going to come back to, sure. to the perspective in your book. When I talk to atheists, and I've had many of them on this show, including Michael Shermer, who wrote the foreword for your book, um, the, there's a inherent built-in opposition to alternatives that are rejected generally by reductionistic, mechanistic perspectives. So, anomalies, what uh, William James called white crows, um, things like precognition, things like uh, Rupert Sheldrake's, uh, you know, why dogs know or how dogs know that you're coming home before, you know, uh, th- that entire area of what we shall call supernatural, but I'm not going psychic, if you will. I'm trying to stay more in the area where there is solid research. When you look at that body of information, how do you fit it with uh, an atheistic perspective or agnostic perspective and or in the alternative do you just reject it?
0: Well, having said earlier that science is practically synonymous with an atheistic perspective these days, Uh, the rejection of the kinds of phenomena that you listed is not an atheistic perspective. It's a scientific perspective that most scientists uh, would uh, agree that um, on the point of rejecting those phenomena uh, as being real and um, explaining them away as, uh, as poor methodology or uh, psychological effects uh, and various biases, confirmation bias, hindsight bias, and a whole lot more. So that's, that's, that's science that is saying that, and many of those scientists um, may not necessarily be atheists themselves. Um, so it's not an atheistic perspective only to reject those phenomena. Uh, but yes, I myself, uh, from a science point of view, reject the phenomena that you've listed because there are so many uh, uh, better explanations uh, for why people think that they're seeing a real effect. You know, coming back to antidepressants, because it's not that far away from my book, actually, it's a relevant point. Um, it's, it's much harder than most people appreciate to, to uh, demonstrate scientifically with a high level of rigor and confidence that A is the cause of B, that antidepressants are the cause, however uh, modestly, of the improvement of depression. So many uh, confounding variables and biases uh, creep in that you actually have to be obsessive and um, and have enormous resources to do a well-designed study to demonstrate these things with confidence. And the problem with all the alternative phenomena, paranormal phenomena that you mentioned, is the quality of the methodology and the failure to exclude all of the confounding variables and subjectivity and bias. They just don't stand up to rigorous analysis. That's the, the reason for rejecting them.
1: Well, and I'm going to disagree with you there, because I've read a couple of them, like Dean Radin's latest work on random number generators that is very rigorous and has been replicated uh, now by three other scientists, one of which I know rejected it out of hand as a possibility in the beginning. But that's in a in a very different sense. I, I guess let me go this way quickly. There's some evidence that mind operates at a distance. Indeed I know um, a biologist who uh, insists that he has divided glial cells from a petri dish and taken some out of the lab while back in the lab he stimulated the remaining glial cells electrically to have them respond remotely simultaneously. Is there such a thing, in your view, as mind operating uh, in some way that fits into your scheme of things? It doesn't necessitate a spiritual perspective, or do you you reject that also, sir?
0: Uh, well, let me uh, let me just preface uh, my rejection by saying that I I have the utmost respect for the. People who who do believe that, that this is true, and the people who are doing this research, these are intelligent, educated people, uh, you know, and and uh, their intentions are, are, are certainly noble. But uh, I I do. Uh, I do reject all of that, um, and for lots of reasons. Uh, mostly, it's the research methodology, which, just as I said, it's not sufficiently rigorous in in excluding the confounding variables. But not only that, if if this uh, if these kinds of phenomena were actually true, practically all of the rest of science would have to be false. Um, it, it's, it's a plausibility problem. It, it's incompatible with, with, with everything else that we know about, about the laws of nature and, uh, and about how science, uh, how the world works from, from centuries of science and especially the last few decades of science. So science in its entirety almost would have to be spectacularly wrong for, for those uh, phenomena to actually be real, but we have much better explanations for why people imagine that they're seeing a real effect.
1: Well, there are many people today that argue Kuhn's absolutely right. We are ready for a paradigm shift, and we opened this show with, uh, you know, maybe we should hold in suspense some of the things that we cherish most. I'm uncertain. I know this. My personal life has revealed experiences that I can't explain. I want to be a scientist. Um, I try to apply logic and reason. I'm a student of philosophy. Um, At the same time, I come up with these nagging feelings that don't allow me to become uh, an atheist or an agnostic. But I'll tell you, Dr. Lewis, I highly recommend your book. I really appreciate your time and your willingness to share it with us. We're out of time. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week. Okay, until then, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of times, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com.
3: If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to eldon at eldentaylor.com.